Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. How can I reach my money goals when I'm always stressed out on this episode of Shauna Shares Community Q&A? You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Shauna Shares Community Q&A, where I answer all of your listener questions. In this episode, I'm answering a question from our listener, Richard. Richard says, Hi, Shauna. I feel like I know you, but I only know you through earbuds three times a week. (laughs) Thanks for this show. Honestly, it's given me life and a time when I felt so stressed out about money. I'm 41, and to be completely transparent with you, I've never really learned about money. I've just fumbled my way through. I would imagine someone else is listening and agreeing. My parents never taught me about money. I didn't learn in school, and I felt left to figure this all out on my own. I'm doing pretty well as far as salary goes, I don't have a lot to show for it, though, at the end of the month. That's hard to admit. Even though I made six figures, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, and it's stressing me the F out. I set all these money goals all the time, and then I never reach them. In fact, I just don't make any progress because I feel like I have so much money shame, guilt, and anxiety. I don't want to live stressed out anymore, and I know that's what is getting in the way of me actually making progress. 
you've been so great at helping me see I can't make good money choices when I'm full of anxiety. Thank you for talking about something that no one else seems to talk about. You've done so many great episodes around this. I'm curious if there's just one that you think I have to listen to or even listen to again to let the words sink in. I may be your biggest fan, but I feel like your calming voice just encourages me every single week. Thanks again, Richard. Wow, Richard. (laughs) There's so much for us to break down in what you said, but thanks so much, A, for being a fan. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks so much for reaching out. I think your question is really relatable to so many of us, and the reason I talk so much about the parts of money that other people don't really talk about, the shame, the guilt, your money story, your childhood, anxiety, fear, all of these things is because I know both personally and professionally that these are the areas where everyone gets stuck in kind of the quicksand and we don't know what to do. So instead, what ends up happening is we start making all of these choices that maybe aren't exactly correct for our life or for the direction that we want for our life. It's like somehow with money, we think what everyone else is doing is what we should be doing. And then we end up doing that. And then at the end of the day, we're looking around saying, I haven't actually made any progress. Like, what is happening here? You're right with that question. What is happening? And I think it's really a shame that we don't learn about money in school. It's starting to change. There are a lot more universities that are starting to talk about money from a perspective of just helping you prepare in life. But I always thought it was just such a weird irony that somewhere between like fourth and seventh grade, for most of us, we have some sort of, even though it may be extremely awkward, sex education class. I know mine was extraordinarily awkward. (laughs) And um, probably this is far too much TMI, but I remember in sixth grade, I was in sex education and I was so confused of how all of my classmates didn't understand what the teacher was actually talking about. And so I came home one day and sat at the dinner table with my family of all people. And I said, I just don't understand how people don't get the difference between menstruation masturbation, and ejaculation. Okay, that was probably TMI. But my whole point of this story was we talked so intimately about sex and we learned all of these things that as a 12-year-old, I 12 or 13-year-old, however old I was at that time, I didn't really have any basis for understanding. I just kind of stored that knowledge. But I didn't have a class at that time to talk about money. I didn't learn about savings or credit cards or interest rates or investing of all things. It just wasn't talked about. And I feel like it's a crime to teach us how to have, I mean, it's not a crime. We need to learn how to have safe sex. That's that's what I'm saying. However, if we're learning about how to have safe sex, don't you think we should also learn about how to be good with our money, how to make our money grow? Because if I would have started a lot of these smart money moves, maybe not when I was 12 or 13, but let's fast forward even to like 16 to 18. I would be leagues ahead by now. Instead, I did what you did, Richard, which was just like fumble through all this stuff, trying to figure out how do I do this? So you are definitely not alone. You're also not alone in that experience of making whatever amount of money you make, thinking it's a really good amount of money, but still effectively living paycheck to paycheck. I think that is the the majority of us. And you're right to kind of pause and scratch your head and say, there has to be some better way to do this. And recognizing that anxiety is one of those areas that is really stopping you from reaching your money goals, or at least even asking the question of, what should I be pondering? Because what I'm doing isn't working. So is there another way to maybe attack this issue? I think that is really smart. So I really want to give you a high five, a virtual high five through the podcast. Thank you for acknowledging that and being brave enough to talk about that. So you asked me if there was an episode that I think you should listen to or listen to again. And I'm going to say a wholehearted yes. 
There was an episode we did in 2021 called How to Train Your Brain to Reach Financial Goals with Ariel Garden. And I was in love with this episode so much so that after I did the interview, I just felt like I was on cloud nine. Like even I had some answers to money questions that helped me get through shame and anxiety and guilt. So I know that it it really hit a lot of listeners hard because I got a lot of feedback about that episode that you really needed to hear that at that moment in time. So I'm going to replay it now. And Richard, if you've heard it, fantastic. I want you to just sit and listen to it again. If if you're listening right now and you've heard this episode, I just encourage you again to do the same thing as Richard, just to sit in it, listen to it again. And Think about reaching financial goals maybe from a different perspective than what we're what we're taught or even what we're not taught, just sort of what we see through social media and through regular media or reading blogs or even listening to other podcasts. It's not so much about the how-tos, but it's about all the other stuff that is going to help propel your money goals. So take a listen, Richard, and I hope this inspires you. Ariel, I am so, so excited to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this conversation for such a long time. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my joy and my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. And I really like the topic of money as an entrepreneur. You know, you <laughs> focus on making it. And uh, as a meditator, there's actually a ton of ways that meditation helps your ability to manage your money. It's it's so good. I love it. And we have so much we're going to talk about. And Obviously, on the show, we talk about a lot of how-tos when it comes to money, but I'm really passionate about talking through the whys and really understanding how your brain, like, quote-unquote, does money, because that obviously is a, a factor in our money success and our money decisions. I think one thing we don't think about is our brain and maybe like the messages it's sending us about feelings towards money, maybe our limitations, our doubts, all of these things. So I think maybe it makes sense to start with just even a general understanding of how the heck our brains even work. <laughs> I realize we could be here for like four hours, but yeah, not a I mean, simple question. Just, yeah. But, we don't um, we don't we don't learn that stuff. I mean, really, you know, and and it's like, wait, there's actually something going on up there. Yes, there are a number of layers of things going on up there. So on the one hand, you have the neural connections, the firing and wiring together of neurons that drive our behavior. On the other hand, you have the layers of thoughts that we have, and those are informed both by the information that we gather from the world and the set of beliefs that were created that guide how we think, act, feel, etc., so when we kind of zoom in to talk about money, there's lots of different places we can dive in. You know, one is on the dopamine reward connection and how that can help or hinder us in our spending and saving. And the other is on the thoughts and beliefs that we have built as a child and how we can potentially shift and change those. Yeah, I'd like to go into both. I mean, obviously, we're getting close to the holidays, which is a big sort of spending time. Uh, let's let's first talk about that dopamine hit, because I think we all, even if we're trying not to spend money, sometimes we find ourselves spending money and afterwards it's the, the why did I do this? I, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many um, kind of negative thoughts that go through our brains, but like what is happening inside of us when, when we are spending money? So we have these very, very basic dopamine reward cycles. So when we want or we desire something and then we fulfill that desire, we get a big release of dopamine and that is rewarding to our mind and body. It tells us that we've done something that's great. It feels really good. So just as a connection, um, when you're high on cocaine, for example, it activates the same dopamine reward center where you know you feel great and you're like attracted to all of these things. Um, when we then sit back and look rationally and logically at what we've done, we can have all sorts of rational and logical sensations that then trigger emotions like remorse, um, you know, second <laughs> thoughts, you know, wondering why we did this. Um, but is, it is that often that dopamine driver that drives us in the first place. Now, there's an interesting study here on the reward systems in our body. And they did a study where they gave individuals money, just like here's five bucks. And they 
tracked the level of happiness or reward that they spent. So they got to get five bucks, spend it on themselves, and then they got to get five bucks and spend it on somebody else or give the money away to somebody else. And they actually found significantly larger uh, reward and happiness um, validation that an individual would get from giving the money or the gift to somebody else than if they spent the money on themselves. So interesting little note around the holiday season. If you want to get a big zip, giving is a good way to do it. Wow, it's so it's so interesting. Uh so are there ways then for us to I mean, I, I guess to really like understand that dopamine hit, but to be able to like use it, I guess, in a good way. I mean, we obviously just talked about giving away money, but is there a way for us to process through that dopamine hit and to really understand like what that's doing for us? Yeah. So one of the best ways to process through the unconscious behaviors that we have and the unconscious drivers that we have is meditation. So, you know, in a meditation practice, what you learn to do is to observe yourself without doing these things. So you might sit there in a five-minute practice and feel the urge to, you know, go up and eat some cookies. Let's not talk about money. Let's talk about cookies because it's like so easy to understand. And <laughs> who doesn't it, love cookies, who right? Doesn't love cookies? <laughs> And so for a lot of people in our general lives, the thought of cookie comes into your head. And if you happen to have some cookies readily available in the kitchen, it's not a large leap for you to just follow that random thought of cookie, go towards the kitchen, open it up and eat that cookie, and then feel the intense dopamine reward that comes from a cookie. There's you know sugar, there's fat, and there's the satisfaction of doing what we set out to do, even if what we set out to do is not that great in the first place. <laughs> In a meditation practice, you will sit there and the thought of cookie will arise and you'll notice that thought. And then you might feel the sensation in your body that just automatically happens. So this is a very cool thing about our dopamine system. It's responsible both for reward and for movement. So Mm -hmm. in that moment when you're thinking cookie, your dopamine system is also mobilizing your body into action towards the cookie in order to get you the thing that you want. And so you are literally unconsciously beginning to set up a set of actions in your body to move yourself towards cookie. So when you're sitting there in your meditation, you might actually notice the sensation of urge in your body, like the urge to like get up and move, like, you know, that feeling of like, I'm just going to get up there and walk towards the kitchen. But you don't follow that. You just observe it. And then you might, you know, find these feelings continually nagging at you, like the thought of cookie just keeps returning, the urge to move just keeps returning. You get frustrated because you can't do it. And you're sitting there observing yourself being like, what on earth is going on? This is crazy. And through that act of observation of not just following the unconscious patterns that we always do, um, we start to actually unpattern them. Because in the past, the thought of cookie was wired to the movement towards cookie, was wired to the consumption of cookie and the dopamine reward. That's one very nice circuit in our brains that plays through. And every time it plays, it gets stronger and stronger. When you have the thought of cookie and the urge of cookie and you do not follow through on it, you simply observe it, your body starts to untether these associations and untether the thought of cookie from the automatic moving towards and consuming of cookie. So Hmm. the act of observation and adding intention and awareness into our actions literally helps us repattern our brains towards the behaviors we're actually choosing rather than ones we're doing automatically. And this could be cookie or, you know, buying nice person shoes or whatever it is for you. And how long does that repatterning take? Because I I mean, I've tried this myself with certain things, certain things that make me very nervous or anxious, whatever it might be. And I noticed that I'll do really good with it for a while and then I'll just have a complete meltdown. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a minute, is this, I did all this work. So I'm curious, like when we're trying to repattern ourselves, if we're talking again about money or cookies or whatever it might be, what is that process like? So the process is slow, but rewarding. Interesting to use that word there. You know, we're rewarding ourselves now for healthy behavior. Um, so, you know, the first five times you do it, you might just feel the sensation of cookie and say, F it, I'm going to get a cookie. <laughs> just, it feels too overwhelming. <laughs> and then, and then as you do it, as you become more and more comfortable sitting, as you become more and more able to say, hold on, this is crazy. Why am I following the surge? I don't need to. When you become more comfortable with the idea of just 
watching the urge rise and fall or the anxiety rise and fall. Because if you want this thing and you're not doing it, it can actually like raise anxiety inside of you. But the more you become comfortable with the fact that that anxiety might raise and you still don't have to do the thing, you can just watch your anxiety rise and eventually it'll just fall. The urge will, you know, build and eventually the urge will just dissipate. You become better and better at recognizing that you don't actually need to follow these unconscious urges. And it's a slow process, but the more that you do it successfully, the more you reward yourself for it. And the more you're through the reward of being like, hey, I just like didn't get that cookie. That's amazing. The more that strengthens the connection of non-action, of repatterning, of you know, creating a new, a new neural circuit um, that allows you to have this, you know, intervention of your own will and your own top-down control on top of the automaticity. It's really interesting because I'm, of course, not a neuroscientist. I'm a money expert, but when I was working with people one-on-one, I worked with people for about 10 years. And regardless of the amount of money they had, the demographic, the education, whatever it might be. I always saw that the missing piece to actually creating that change and and really getting closer to the thing that they actually wanted was when they would have this mindset shift or like an aha moment when something suddenly makes sense or they understood a pattern from their childhood. And then it was like you just hit the fast forward button and you know some people would would go very fast and then kind of stumble backwards and then go fast again. But it was like this revelation that at least when we're talking about money, it isn't just about spreadsheets and numbers that whatever is going on in our head or isn't going on is is helping or hindering us and that we actually have some sort of control over that and and to me that's always been at least you know in my opinion the missing piece when we're talking about something specifically like money but we could apply that i'm sure that same theory to about anything in life yes we have a pile of unconscious drivers and again those can fall into the categories of just our neurological circuitry and patterning you know based on basics of reward and the things that we've just done over and over again habitually so we no longer think about it, the patterns that have become automatic that we just follow, um, and the beliefs that we have. And either uncovering one of the patterns, like we talked about with the cookie urge, um, and being able to overcome it, or uncovering one of the beliefs that you have that's not correct that drives you, both of those are massive aha moments that actually serve in that moment to help reorganize your neural constructs and your conscious constructs. Now, of course, these patterns, be they neural or you know, childhood beliefs are deeply ingrained. And so once you find it, it leads to this massive aha. It's like the scales have fallen off your eyes. It's like, oh my God, I can actually have control over this. And then from there, it takes discipline and practice to keep reminding yourself of the new thing, (laughs) to keep saying, oh yeah, you know, I might've believed that I wasn't worthy of making this much money or that I had to, you know, never use my credit card because that's what my parents always told me because it would take me too far into debt. But actually that, you know, led me to some poor decisions or that I shouldn't ever mortgage my home, which actually then kept me from having significant amount of free income, which I could then invest in an investment, you know, like things, whatever your unconscious belief is. Once you uncover it, you then have to do the work over and over again of reminding yourself that that was your belief, but that's not necessarily true and the world can work in a different way and continue to reshape. And, you know, it takes time on the order of months, It's for some people years, (laughs) but once it's unlocked, it's a world that's unlocked for you. So if you recognize like one of those beliefs, maybe that's been passed down from from childhood that you think, okay, this is actually not my belief. This is somebody else's that I've borrowed. And we're reminding ourselves over and over again what our actual belief is. Is it helpful to like have that written down, like something that we can come back and read over and over again? Or is it something that we just like repeat to ourselves? Like what's the actual practice of walking through that? Sure. All of the above. So one is, you know, we call them core beliefs. So these are the beliefs that drive you and drive your behaviors. So once you recognize that you have a core belief that is not actually aligned to your current reality and no longer helping or serving you, you want to, of course, write out what the old core belief is and what the new core belief that you would like to have replaced is. Now, that 
old core belief is your body really believes it. You know, your mind and your body is really focused on this is how it has set up its its entire structure for how you see the world in this particular domain. And so you might find that there are lots of different places where this core belief has has inserted itself. And so you might say like, oh, well, I believe that, I don't know, let's go back to the mortgage example that, you know, you should never take on debt, debt on your house. And so, um, of course, you would never take a mortgage. That would seem big and intimidating to you. Like, that would be awful. But maybe you also never lend a friend money. Maybe you also never use a credit card. Maybe you also, you know, have a whole set of beliefs and behaviors, and you have to kind of check where each of those might fall in and say, oh, I'm doing that again based on this core belief. And you might be like, oh, yes, logically, I'm going to change this core belief and this new belief makes a lot more sense to me. But you might get a lot of emotional reaction in situations where your core belief is being challenged, even though you cognitively know it's wrong. So you want to be able to do visualization exercises, like go back to your five-year-old self who was being lectured by your dad about this thing. Um, And you know, give some love and support to your five-year-old self. You can even imagine your five-year-old self on the wall like a movie, seeing the scene where where your dad was talking to you. And um, maybe you'd then have your five-year-old self actually retort to your dad the the new information that he maybe didn't have. You know, you would give that information to your five-year-old self like like a mentor, You know, when your dad leaves the room, you'd then turn to him and say, I know dad said this, but actually let me tell you how it actually is. And then see how your life might be different had you done these different things throughout your life. You know, carry this belief. We call it in NLP, we call it a timeline exercise, like carry this belief throughout your timeline. You might, as the anxiety builds, if you approach parts of your life where you have to now exercise this new belief, you might feel anxiety. And so you want to bring in a breathing exercise to calm yourself down. So one of the biggest things, the concepts that I like to work with is that fear is not always correct. So, you know, our anxiety is there to tell us that something's wrong. And the thing that it's telling us is wrong is like, oh my God, this action doesn't align with this core belief. And it's like, yes, I'm feeling the sense of a lot of anxiety, but I know this core belief was wrong and this new core belief is true. You know, I can get a mortgage or whatever it is. So when you feel that sense of anxiety, it's your body just acting on an old core belief. And normally when we feel a sense of anxiety, we don't do something because we're like, oh no, that's dangerous. You can't do it. So we have to, in those times when we feel anxiety, take on techniques to calm our body, to send ourselves love, to, you know, hug the little five-year-old who doesn't want to screw up in front of dad. Um, <laughs> I don't whatever know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and so we can become, you know, very comfortable with talking to these parts of ourselves that uh, that are a little bit scared because, you know, we were driven by these core beliefs and now things are changing. And so it's almost like we are finally the adult in the room who sees the reality, who sees that our parents were wrong, who sees that these core beliefs were wrong. And we can go back and comfort, talk to, support, give hugs to our younger selves that are kind of scared and kind of confused and driven by this old belief and, you know, don't want to piss somebody off by doing something wrong. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. 
I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout-friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. 
And I want to talk obviously a lot about the the techniques and dive a little bit more into meditation, but but really quick before we get off kind of this topic, I'm curious, are some of our thought patterns, like when we're born, are we just like our disk base is clean? And then the moment we start experiencing life is when some of these beliefs and patterns and all sorts of things start to really shape or is, is some of that inherited like in our genes? How does that work? This is an age old debate in the world of neuroscience. Are we tabula rasa? You know, do we come clean into the world and then everything's patterned on on top of us? Or do we come with some innate things? And certainly we come with some innate drivers, you know, our dopamine systems generally are innate. What what we attach to them, you know, for some people it might be sex is highly dopamine rewarding. For other people it's sugar. For other people it's money. You know, what we attach to that system is then determined by us and our shaping and our experience. Um, mm. And then in terms of the beliefs that we carry, for the most part, those are cultured. They're not in our genes. You know, there is some thoughts and epigenetics about things that are passed on from from adult to to child. But those don't tend to be on the level of belief. The things on the level of belief are things that we learn psychologically as we grow up. Interesting. So blame your parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds really fantastic. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I want to talk about, about meditation. It's something that I started to do about three years ago. I had an accident, became deaf in my left ear. So I have single-sided deafness and like 24-7 tinnitus. And so for me, it also brought along a lot of anxiety and all sorts, a whole bevy of other things. And so I knew from my work in the financial space how important the mindset was and that I needed myself to take like a time out and really work on that myself. And so I turned to meditation. I obviously knew about it, but um, I was really shocked how meditation helped me. And I think there are a lot of I don't want to say beliefs, but there's a lot of um, strong feelings sometimes around meditation, and maybe it comes from just not really understanding what meditation is. So can you walk us through a little bit, like like what actually is at the core level, like what is meditation and and how is that working to to help us? Sure. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. And by the way, I sometimes have ringing in your ears and tinnitus sucks. So my heart goes out to you on that one. But meditation has been demonstrated as one of the only things that can actually effectively help tinnitus. It helps you move your mind away from the sound and therefore dampens your associations and your attention to it. So at its core, meditation is not a weird or a woo-woo thing. It is simply a practice or training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. So just in the same way that we go to our gym to train our bodies and make it stronger, we meditate to train our minds and make it stronger. And we're training multiple facets of our mind. And one of the main things that we train in meditation is our attention, our ability to place our attention in the present moment on what we choose to because we go through so much of our life automatically, you know, going after cookies, thinking random thoughts, having repeated thoughts over and over and over in our head. And in meditation, what we learn to do is rather than just buying into all of the stimulus that's constantly coming at us, the commercials, the advertisements, the random thoughts that pop into our head, the cookie desires, etc., we choose to instead let go of all of that noise and choose where we put our intention to be conscious and attentive of what we do, what's around us and what's in our world. And that skill that you build in meditation is mindfulness. So it's the awareness of what's actually going on in our thoughts, feelings, sensation of world. And once you're aware of it, you can then have control of it. You can then choose how you react to the things that are going on around you. So if, for instance, we're feeling a lot of stress around money or um, you know, could be a simple thing, you know, going back to our example of, of, you know, we have an impulse to go out and buy something, spend money. We don't even know why we could utilize meditation to just kind of bring us back to the present and also help us be aware of all sorts of things. Do we need this? Is, you know, I mean, you could go through a whole laundry list I'm imagining of, of ways once you're present to really think about the situation. Exactly. And to deconstruct what's happening inside of you that's driving you. 
So to see, you know, why is it that I want this? What is my emotional state at the moment? How is that driving me? How is the argument that I just had, you know, with my husband making me just want to make myself feel better in any way possible? And this is, you know, the route that I'm just automatically taking. You know, what are my thoughts about this? How is my body just reacting in this moment? And once you're able to see that, you're able to bring choice into the scenario. We're no longer just driven automatically. And what we discover in long-term meditation practices is actually a strengthening of the parts of the brain associated with making better choices and reducing our stress and anxiety. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building our portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to me because I struggled for years to find some sort of tool or technique that would help. And then for me, just sitting calmly for 10, 20 minutes a day, it it's like the best medicine ever. But for someone who maybe has never meditated before, can you walk us through a little bit? I know there are a myriad of different types of meditations. Like, what are you what are you actually doing in a meditation? And then maybe what are you doing after a meditation? Sure. So the most common form of meditation that most people learn first is focused attention on the breath. So in a basic focused attention on the breath practice, you're putting your attention on your breath all of your attention. And eventually your mind's going to wander away from your breath and into a thought about the grocery list or your husband or what's frustrating, whatever it is. You then notice, hey, I'm thinking, no longer meditating. You let go of that thought and you bring your attention back to your breath. So it is very, very simple. Intentional attention on the breath, mind wandering, notice that you've wandered, let go of the wander and return. Now, from this very simple set of activities, some really profound transformation can happen because most of us, as I've talked about, just kind of go through our lives on autopilot. We have a whole bunch of thoughts just sort of rolling around in our head, um, and we assume that because they're in our head, we're supposed to be thinking them. And, you know, maybe it's a repeated thought about a bad transaction that we did that just, you know, repeats over and over and over and makes us feel terrible. Maybe it's thoughts about something that we want that just comes back over and over and over. Maybe it's just useless garbage. And when you, for the first time, bring your attention onto something, then your attention wanders away for a thought. And then you say, hey, I don't need to be thinking this thought. I can move my mind elsewhere. I can move it onto something neutral like my breath. In that very moment, you have changed your relationship to your thinking. And once you do that, you can recognize that you can actually have choice over the contents of your mind. That you don't need to have those repeated thoughts. You know, when a thought comes in, you can say, hey, this is not helping or serving me to think about this again. Let's just move my mind elsewhere. And the more you do that, the better you become at curating the contents of your own mind and really becoming the the master of your own life. I love that. Curating the contents of your own mind. It's it's so profound. I love it. You are multi-talented. I read on your bio, it says you're one of the most interesting people we will ever meet, which <laughs> clearly, clearly is the case. <laughs> uh you're a neuroscientist, you're a mom, you're a, you're a former fashion designer, which is crazy, and um, the co-founder of the startup Muse, where um, you're doing amazing things to help people with um, just all this stuff that we've been talking about, what was going on in your head. So, I mean, first, 
tell me a little bit, like, how did you even get interested in all of this to become a neuroscientist and to really focus on on this area? So my family was entrepreneurial. Um, my dad was in real estate and my mom was an artist. So I always grew up thinking that you did your own thing. You know, you built your own path, you created your own job, working for somebody else and giving up all of your labor to that seemed utterly insane to me. And so I was very fascinated by how this world worked and trying to understand it. I then went down the road of neuroscience to understand how the brain works. Uh, along the way, became a fashion designer, which, by the way, is a terrible business. <laughs> Absolutely terrible economies of scale. <laughs> Just <laughs> not recommended from a business model perspective. You know, it was quite successful. I had a clothing store and you know sold clothing across North America. And ultimately, it was actually my dad who said, shut this down. This is not a business that's going to do well for you, which was, you know, a very hard thing for a 20 something to hear. So closed down my clothing design company and really focused on um, my fascination with the neuroscience and the brain and trying to figure out actually how I could create a business solution around that that was really going to make people's lives better. And so I started to work with an early brain computer interface system in a research lab in Toronto and quickly recognized that this device that we were using, which was a very simple EEG electrode that you would slip on the back of your head, um, that we would use to then create audio experiences based on your brain state, I quickly recognized that it was something that was commercializable and incredibly useful to the world. So I got together with my co-founders, Chris Amini, who's an incredible, incredible engineer, and Trevor Coleman, who is great at business. And the three of us uh, formed a company, Muse, where we uh, set about to take this brain technology and really make it useful to the world. And we would be able to, you know, have people focus on a light and the light would get brighter and we'd have people relax and we could make the sounds change. So we would actually interpret their brain state into sound. And then through that, they could understand what their brain was doing. And as we tried to figure out exactly what the product was, we recognized that probably as odd as this seems, the best use of this technology was to help people meditate because meditation mm -hmm as simple as it is, is very hard to do. You know, you're asked to focus your breath, your, your attention in one space, like on your breath, your mind wanders, and it's really hard to know what's going on in there. It's hard to know what's happening in your brain while you meditate. And with this system that we had, we could actually give people feedback on when they were focused and when they were relaxed. And we could actually use that to build a tool that could teach somebody quite effectively to meditate, to show them when they're in the meditation zone and when their mind was wandering. And that's how the device Muse was ultimately born. Wow. I mean, it's it's just like, it's so amazing because, right, it's like you're training yourself to recognize when I'm relaxed or when I'm not relaxed or like to really understand what's going on in our brains because so much of the time I feel like my brain's doing one thing and everything else is doing something. I'm like, could these two just you know, work together here? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. So with Muse, we really wanted to create a tool that would give you insight into your mind during meditation and yeah. how it now works, the, the existing device. It's a slim little band that you slip on your forehead and it takes the sound, it takes your meditation practice and actually changes it into guiding sounds. So when your mind is wandering, you hear it as stormy. And as you bring yourself to focused attention, it quiets the storm. And there's a gamification mm. aspect to it. So, you know, we're getting that dopamine system going. It's very rewarding. You want to do it over and over again. And it really effectively teaches you how to meditate. And, you know, we hear over and over again from people who've never meditated before, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, now I get it. And from people <laughs> who are <laughs> like, oh, and from people who are experienced meditators, it gives you a whole new level of insight into your mind during meditation. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. So curious, also being a, a female startup owner, do you have any uh, words of advice, any money or business advice that you would give to somebody listening who uh, is maybe, you know, a few years removed from your position, but has, a, has an idea, something they want to chase after, but, you know, has a lot of those, a lot of those fears about money. Is this going to be successful? A lot of those limiting beliefs? Yes. So 
I started out in a really crazy business. I was creating brain technology that was going to help you meditate. And we were way early for the market. You know, now meditation is a big trend and, you know, literally half a million people use Muse and, you know, many, many, many millions meditate. But early on when we went to raise money for the business, uh, it was not the case. And I'd walk into a VC's office and I'd pitch this amazing technology we had and they'd say, what's the killer app? And we'd say meditation and they'd be like, oh yeah, thanks. Bye. You're weird. <laughs> Many of those VCs currently use Muse, not kidding. Right. Um, but it took a long time for us to get there. And so along the way, being able to observe my own limiting beliefs, to quiet my inner critic who'd be saying things like, this is crazy, it'll never work, um, was really, really key. And I actually walked into the startup with no real financial background. So you know, my my family was a family business, so I had the sort of just exposure of being in an entrepreneurial environment, but I had no MBA. I didn't have the skills to raise money. Um, and so I went to our local incubator. There I learned how to raise money. I learned the skills that you need. Um, I brought aboard partners who were really skilled in the things that I wasn't, like spreadsheets and financial management um, and operations and manufacturing things in China. And from there was able to gain the insight and confidence to go out and actually raise $18 million in venture funding myself. The companies now raised much more than that, but the first $18 million I raised. And wow. I did that always with the clear belief that I could figure anything out. So it really was the mindset that was key. It really was overcoming the limiting beliefs that I might have had about me not being good enough, not deserving to be in that room. Who am I to stand in front of these VCs? You know, I really had to work with that internal dialogue to create um, the confidence and the 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 arena for for me to flourish. And it was ultimately, I think, my confidence that the VCs invested in. Um, and then, of course, the team that I was able to put together and the technology we had and the and the proof that we were able to generate. so there's there's a lot of parts of it, but the real internal driver, the initial driver came from my own confidence and my ability to manage my limiting beliefs. And what's so interesting with you being a neuroscientist is that even though you know how all of this works, you still have to do the process yourself. And you still had to walk through that yourself. And I think that's just such a testament to um, none of us are really experts. We're just all, we're all learning and we're all practicing and, and falling down and, and standing up again and, and trying to, to make things work. And trying to figure it out. Yes. Um, I was actually, I was working as a psychotherapist uh, along my development path. And while I was building Muse, you know, part of the recognition was how terrible I was at meditating. So as a psychotherapist, I'd be teaching people to meditate and I was a terrible meditator. <laughs> and it was through using Muse that I was finally like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do to meditate. Got it. <laughs> so that's so cool. I yes, like that. We're, we're all working on ourselves constantly. And I know something else you're doing at Muse, which I really want to talk about is really examining the role that sleep plays in our success. Um, you know, I, I know the older I get, sometimes the crazier my sleep gets. And it, it's tough when you've got to get up and, and function and you know you've not had enough sleep. And I know particularly with money, something as simple as just not getting enough rest can really be messing up some of our money decisions. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like, the role sleep plays in our success. Absolutely. I mean, sleep is incredibly critical for our success. Simply one hour of sleep can significantly impact your cognitive function. Um, and it's very interesting the ways that it impacts it. So losing an hour of sleep doesn't impact, for example, your decision, your, pardon me, losing an hour of sleep, for example, doesn't impact your memory. So your memory, whether you've slept six hours or eight hours will probably be just as good, more or less. But losing a few hours of sleep severely impacts our decision-making. So particularly when we're talking about the area of money in which decision-making is key, getting a good night's sleep before you're making any big money decisions is really important. Or if you know you've slept poorly the night before, stopping and saying, hold on, like maybe I'm not going to be making the best decisions today. Uh, let's, 
let's let's <laughs> park that one for tomorrow. You know, let's just having that eye on yourself is is really important. Um, and lack of sleep does several things. One is it's terrible for your body. Um, you know, your your satiety signals, um, a range of different hormones, your immune system, etc. But it also erodes our emotional self-regulation. So, you know, everybody knows a little two or three-year-olds when they haven't had a good nap starts to throw tantrums and go crazy. And like, you can tell somebody needs to take a nap right now. (laughs) Well, us adults, we do the same thing. We just hide it much better. So when we don't sleep well, our emotional self-regulation goes out the window. So that becomes another reason that decision-making really becomes impaired. You know, not only do we have the cognitive impairment on our decision making, but we also have the compound of not being able to emotionally self-regulate. So we're far more driven by our fears, our desires, and our anxieties. I mean, and who would think just sleep? I mean, it's it's just crazy because I know there are days where I have not gotten enough sleep and the whole day just feels like a chaotic mess. And I'm blaming everything except really looking at, okay, wait, how well did I sleep last night? And so having this this awareness now, I think hopefully everyone listening is is now able to just think about what emotions they're feeling, but also just think about what's happened, you know, the night before and uh, figure out, like you said, is it a good day to make big decisions? Maybe not. Yeah. And how can you improve your sleep to make every day a good day? You know, how can you prioritize sleep in your life to ensure that every day is as good a day as it could be? Yeah, that is that is definitely something I'm working on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's something that we've been working on, too. So, you know, as we think about ways to improve the brain, one of the things that we've actually just released at Muse is a new device, Muse S, that actually helps you fall asleep and stay asleep. So it has a great new intervention that helps you fall asleep um, and it's designed to help you stay asleep and fall back asleep and also tracks your sleep like almost as precisely as a sleep lab to actually give you real insight into your sleep and how to improve it. Ooh, yeah, that's fascinating. I love it. Oh my gosh, we have talked about so, so much on this episode. I'd love to leave everyone with just maybe one like parting thought. If If you could leave us with some sort of advice, tip, word of wisdom, anything about how we could right now, right in this moment, really work to maybe overcome what our brain is telling us about our money situation. I think so many of us are so critical about the mistakes we've made and we really live in this place. Is there anything proactive we can do right now to uh, at least bring some awareness to the reality or what is actually going on? Yes. The best thing you can do is stop and take a deep breath and look at what you're feeling and why you might be feeling it. So whenever you feel that sense of anxiety, that sense of guilt, that sense of whatever it is, stop and take a deep breath. And that gives you the opportunity to gain some metacognition, to gain some perspective on what's going on. Because we are all so driven by fear, you know, by fear that we'll be seen as doing the wrong thing, that our that our parents will be mad at us, that, you know, we we might you know, be destitute and left with nothing, that we might have done something, whatever it is. These fears are rarely true. And the worst case scenario that you're dreaming of rarely happens. Yet these fears really guide our lives and our micro movements in ways that hold us back. So observing that whenever you have a sense of fear, noticing that actually it's probably based on something old and not helpful, and it's probably not helping or serving me right now, Calming yourself and taking deep breaths to calm that fear sensation or anxiety sensation, and then objectively looking at the situation so that you can make a clearer decision is always key. Amazing. Okay. Well, tell everyone listening where they can go to find out more about Muse and connect with you. Sure. Um, You can find out more about Muse at choosemuse.com, C-H-O-O-S-E-M-U-S-E.com. Um, there you can find out about our tool to help you meditate and the tool to help you sleep. And if you want to follow me on socials, you can follow me at Ariel's Musings and on Twitter at Ariel.Garten. Wow, is all I have to say after this conversation. I have been practicing meditation, mindfulness, and really trying to understand money thoughts for years now, but I learned so much from Ariel. I think the biggest takeaway I got is that 
there is hope. You can work to change your thinking and become more intentional. And all of that is just going to have a great impact on your money. So that feels like really good news to me. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor, share it with five friends right now that you know need to hear this message. That is the biggest way we keep the show growing. We keep more great guests like Ariel coming on. Always, you can head to the show notes for all our links to our guest as well as our episode sponsors. So thank you so much for tuning in. You make this show what it really is. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.